0: It's weird cuz I just I I've just realized that in a way we're talking about the fact that artists make their statements and for them that's the end of the line and then there's this afterlife of use where things enter the bloodstream of use and culture and get put in context that they never predicted, don't have control over. And in fact that's literally what we've done to Boguslaw Schaefer's music. Poor he Boguslaw. made this music in his moment to to speak back to his conditions and his life. And I have no idea whatsoever if he would like or approve of what we've done, if he would find it alienating or a ripoff or or facile, or if he would find it funny or cool or, It's, it's great to not entirely have control. And I hope that's how Schaefer would feel, but I don't know, we'll need to do a seance to
1: like, figure this out <laughs> my my guess about his Schaefer's feeling about our record would be like oh, oh, oh okay
0: Shrug. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I saw that someone got that shrug emoticon like tattooed on their ass oh and I think that's such an amazing decision you know it's kind of like are you shrugging at the person that you imagine is looking at your ass is it like I'm shrugging about whatever happens to my ass, like, is it a like, well, it's behind me, so whatever, you know? It's, it's, it's... like
1: the tattoo that says, my name is Martin, just above <laughs> my ass. <laughs>
0: so I know what to say.
1: I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? The are alive, with the sound of One, two, three, four. See?
0: Proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very
1: attractive. the proposition.
0: I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition, What not you here. The sound is the protagonist.
1: Welcome, Matmos. Hi, we're Matmos. Hi, this is Matmos. Hi, we're Matmos. That's us. Matmos. two of us. I'm Drew. My name is Martin. Schmidt.
0: And I'm Drew. Daniel. Uh, guys, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Thanks so very much. much. Cheers. Hello. Hey. Tell me, what is that horrible thing under the
0: floor?
1: that is the matmos my child the matmos well, you really are from earth you don't understand no the matmos yes
0: <laughs> I'm just reminding myself of the the flow of it it's funny you make records now and because of the supply chain crisis of like how long it takes to fabricate vinyl by the time a record is released like. You are. Well, and it was bad before. It's just. Even it's, it's just, just slower way now.
1: Worse now. Well, the album is just as bad as it's always been. And the album. Yeah, the album.
0: <laughs> we just. I think something about how long we took to make um, "Marriage of True Minds" made Martin aware that time passes, and he wanted us to to try to
1: accelerate the process. And so we worked more- I don't know, you know, you look at these, you look at, like, bands from the 70s, and it's like, holy shit, they made three albums in 1973. Like, what kind of pretentious twats are we? Like, yes, it usually takes us three or four years to, you know, I mean, it. we're not. So I think that that desire
0: to, to kind of build momentum, because it was really fun when we did that with, Plastic Anniversary and Ultimate Care too. there's a sense of like, let's not be precious, let's stay inspired and inside a project and complete it rather than kind of endlessly expansive tinkering. And then plus with COVID, there's just so much more of like forced house arrest where since we make all our records at home in the home studio and you know, there was more of a sense that, well, why not carry on? So yeah, the, the creation of Consuming Flame passed into the creation of this material really naturally and quite swiftly. Um, it all started because Mi- Mikhail Mendik, who at that time was working at the, the Adam Miskovich Institute in Warsaw, approached us with like, well, have you ever heard this guy, Boguslaw Schaefer, his music's really crazy, you might enjoy it. And from that, it, it crystallized into first the, the Ableton sample kit, and then from the sample kit, we built out an album in a matmus way that was, you know, a mixture of things we've always done and things that were actually pretty new. For example, this record was, was made entirely in this room that we're in, not in our basement studio. In, in Logic.
1: Yeah. Like we've made a, the great shift from digital performer to Logic. Or I have.
0: Yeah, I don't know. He's, I...
1: still, he's still in the basement with our- Yeah. I'm a cellar dweller forever. Mac Pro from uh, 1993. I, yeah,
0: I don't know. I just, I think it, it, it felt like a, it was something that we had done in the last stages of consuming flame because the final assemblage of the big hour long suites of material that
1: had also been done in Logic in this room. So this room just became the place to try that out. And I think- Well, truth be told, a lot of it was in Garage GarageBand. <laughs> Well, wait, that... Uh, Consuming Flame. Consuming Flame, not this. I mean, they're basically... It was what convinced... I was like, this is a very capable program. Like, I bought a new Mac, uh, an iMac, and it came with it. And I was, like, you know, going through the fucking bullshit to, like, transfer the ownership of digital performer to another computer, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna do this in GarageBand right now. I'm just gonna start working on it. And then after a while, I was like- Why is there a clock pro- on your head? This program is <laughs> great. Um, and then after all that, I was like, okay. I'll, and then I looked up, and it's like, Logic is only $200? Like, it is so fucking reasonable. The thousands of dollars I've paid to Mark of the Unicorn for performer because I've been using that we we their ears it. are burning
0: now, you're getting spicy.
1: Uh I <laughs> bought it in nineteen eighty seven. The first and I've been like updating my subscription yeah. since nineteen eighty seven. So we're pretty so, clingy. They can't say that I wasn't <laughs> loyal, but I am done with that shit. Logic is so yeah. much better.
0: I think formally it makes the album actually kinda different because at least for a lot of the Matmus records, the final assembly and Digital Performer is something where I work and then Martin works and then I work and then eventually Martin mixes. But I'm much more involved in like shaping the the flow of the song. And I think on this album, it really became a lot more Martin's baby. Like yes. you you spent a lot of Finally. time making the music much stranger. I think the oddity of a lot of the tracks is about, it's Martin's fault. You know, maybe I'm like the sellout. Well, home. my pain, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the a, whore of the band. I'm that afraid it's it's <laughs> unlistenable, to, you know, to normal
1: people at all is the problem.
0: But you know, you reach a point where you stop soliciting strangers, cause you're just too ugly and old. No. um where you stop like fabricating this idea that you're here to appeal to some imaginary listener that lives in your head and you just start to think, well, I'm gonna go with my instincts about what I wanna hear and the forms that I wanna hear. And and really it's not about like contempt or desire, it's more like trust. Like you just start to trust that you don't have to condescend to the listener and that they'll meet you where you are. And maybe we'll find out that that's quite untrue <laughs> but maybe not you know maybe people will like this music I don't know it is a very strange thing to to um, build music from someone else's sounds without their consent and without their participation that makes it interesting and kind of fraught like am I just pouring a tangy lemon sauce on top of somebody else's like steak and it's actually irrelevant you know or like am I bringing together a bunch of elements in a in a way that's that's compelling and can stand on its own you know i don't know Yeah, I think that sense of working with the surprise and the density and the specificity of other people's content, you know, it's it felt less manicly like planning a huge dinner party. Um, you know, consuming fame had a lot of headaches of just like organizationally putting it together. I think here it was more about finding some way to grow the felt organic to these timbres and sounds, but didn't feel like we were just replicating modernism or like the sound of avant-garde compositions of 40 years ago. Like I didn't want to make like fake old music. Uh, I did want to make a music that was a little confusing about when is it from? So there's elements that to me sound very 80s and elements that sound like kind of Glossy electroacoustic music from an academic context, but there's a lot of like weird kitsch moments or like moments where the song like huffs poppers and kind of loses its mind a little bit. In
1: the dryer? Uh, it's a sort of new Korean machine. Oh, it's your machine. Right. What do you- you haven't paid, like, really close attention to your, like, your washing machine? <laughs> yeah. Well, we love washing machines. It's kind of a obsession. I think in some ways it started... I from, certainly hope you're going to go record that little song and yeah, play that. Yeah, you should use the here. little
0: song. <laughs> yeah it's made it really hyper real when, when Martin does laundry now and occasionally when I do that, that it feels like we're starting the album or finishing the album and hear those same noises again especially because the resonance of an object in a room gives it a certain color and like we know the, the sort of sound of that washing machine in that specific room so well it's one of those things that just makes life more like it's already art you know I guess it's the album in reverse.
1: <laughs> it's like this Cajun echo of the album. That yeah, it's literally the same machine.
0: Not yep. uh, well, okay, not literally. It is the technically no.
1: It's <laughs> not an Ultimate Care two. It's an Ultimate Care. Oh, here's the difference. No buzzer. Hmm. Yeah, that's the entire difference. So we, but <laughs> we, we is absolutely identical in every way, but it's missing. Yeah, on that one on the ultimate care 2 there was a knob that said buzzer not buzzer or whatever like turn on the end of cycle alarm the I, ultimate care 2 i had two... to go out of my way intensely to replace it with an identical machine I, there was a huge there's a huge warehouse in industrial part of baltimore this guy's business is just like he's got a huge warehouse of fucked up uh, stoves refrigerators washing machines, mostly washing machines and I scoured this entire place and he was just like what what are you doing and then I under all this stuff I found one I was like this this is the one that I want and he would he came up he was like why <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like do you really want to know He was like, Yes, <laughs> and then I showed, I was like, okay, let so I go a band, we made a and I showed him one of the videos, he was, you know, like, one minute, he was like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but he sure enough, for like $200 or something, $100, he fixed it up and delivered it to my house. So we had the Ultimate Care 2 for the album, and then we toured it across
0: Europe, playing the album. But at the end of the tour, we left it in Czechoslovakia with our driver, who'd been driving the van. The Czech Republic. And, oh yeah, the Czech Republic. Um, and then we flew home and needed a new washing machine, so that's when the Ultimate Care replaced Ultimate Care too. But I thought we had one for U.S. tour t- as well that
1: we gave to Would the- We do, we've had three, it's true. We bought, I sourced, I had a friend of mine sourced one in southern, in L.A. Uh, And we picked it up for the West Coast tour,
0: toured the West Coast with it, and then we were out, we were unloading from this club gray area in San Francisco, and this lady was like the janitor of the club, and she saw And she
1: literally says to me like, I wish I had a washing machine. So we were like, "What's what what your name?" Like, now what's, you now you do. What's your address? <laughs> so we get her name and we get her address. And when the tour
0: was over, we drove to her house and we gave her the washing machine that we had used on tour, and she took it. And it was, you know, because we don't want to be these like bougie assholes that are just like, "Ha ha, washing machine!" You know, as if it isn't actually useful. On to the other hand, lives. maybe she sold that shit though. Well, I have no know. On idea. the other hand, like.
1: <laughs> This, I mean, I bought this. I bought, I mean, it was like 150 I mean, they aren't like, it's a cheap like used washing shit, yeah. machine is not a <laughs> luxury, luxury item. No. I think having a space for it and a water hookup and la 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 yeah. is kind of the... the Living uh, in San Francisco itself is the ultimate luxury. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs>
0: Wow, so you guys really did tour with a, a washing machine. <laughs> I, I I wonder about the, like the practicalities of that. Is it just
1: uh, backbreaking sometimes? Oh, I, I mean the worst. Yeah, I mean just that way. The worst gig was uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, where the venue was at. There was there's like an old fashioned, uh, like uh, late 1800s uh, theater big old theater and then the, on the top there was a bar like you know you know late 1800 like that was the saloon for the theater and they built that into another venue
0: so it was carrying a but washing that's machine. Where, three that's where we of were booked.
1: Like flights of long flights of like slippery marble yeah. stairs. Like carrying a fucking washing that's, machine. That uh, sucked.
0: I mean, the the fact is, there's no way we could have toured it at all if it weren't for our friend Michael Brown, who's like a tinkerer and builds large scale sculptures and public art. And he was the one that engineered a way to rig up a pump with just a huge plastic tub full of thirty gallons of water and like a garbage. Can. We were able to run a pump system to supply cold water in, and then it w- the, the machine on stage would drain into the exact same thing. So we weren't really washing anything, we were kind of just redistributing filth. It was like the same cold dirty water goes in and goes out. Yeah. yeah. But it was fun to take, like we would get socks or underwear from an audience member and wash it during the set, and then when the sets open, like lift it out and give it back to them, you know? and it was fun to see the whole crowd like kind of erupt with joy at these socks you know that you're holding like ta-da you know if, if it makes them like rethink something that we just totally take for granted or just regard as like dead time you know then that's fun. it i yeah i mean I, I i feel sad that we won't do it again but you know
1: yeah it's not an album that you can like oh and now we'll do two songs from yeah ultimate <laughs> care too as part of this set we yeah will, we will not in for a penny in for a pound I mean we could
0: revisit the sample textures but I don't think it has the same like kind of fanatical commitment as like this is the machine and like it's running you know we can't like play a request <laughs> exactly because we weren't there to like promote the brand new whirlpool washing machine you know we weren't there to like showcase this commodity in a
1: we tried yeah we tried to get no No. they were like you mean the machine from 1997 yeah there's no like have
0: fun guys there's no secondary market that helps them yeah and they were kind of like well our brand is about care and families and they kind of dot 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 and we're like oh you mean we're like Creepy old gay dudes. Yeah, we're like weird
1: <laughs> gay artists. Like We don't
0: say, like, family, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's weird if you're like, well, we tried to sell out, but it didn't
1: happen. <laughs> we <We've> tried several. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think on the on. on I, I mean, further than that, people are like, you know, fans are like, sick. You got a sponsorship with, you know, with the weapons system company. Like, <laughs> I stand that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's way worse than if nobody cares if you sell out. People are like, right. Yeah. Now,
0: yeah, it seems exactly. like, it, yeah, it's also like part of like a sort of waning critical purchase of music as a locus of identity or something like I think that idea that music was this repository of the kind of person that you were, that connoisseurship and fandom was a self, like I think that the, the rise of streaming platforms, the sort of the smorgasbord getting infinite, um, a lot of that. And then right now, it like- I mean,
1: it was the introduction of the CDR it was, it was where, you know, I'll never forget walking to some dude's kitchen and his entire kitchen table was filled with spindles of, of CDRs that were just album, 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 album that he had ripped from someone else. And I was like, oh, of course. But I think that's going to happen. I think
0: the labor of doing the bootlegging yourself is different from the I have a streaming Spotify faucet and it just gives me... Yeah. this mushy pablum. Well, of, yeah, of, of it like, didn't get
1: better. It va- got even well, sort of like the
0: sponsorship thing. Yeah. It got worse. Vague attempts at a style. I mean, the weird thing that I see now is like the, the, the way that people emotionally invest in music or love music isn't gone. It's not over. It's just happening through different kinds of linkages and relationships. So like if you go to YouTube on a song, what you see is endless testimonials of like, oh, I'm here because it was used in season seven of this prestige television. franchise. I love this song and like these people don't hate the song. They love the song, but they love the song by way of its usage to illustrate another thing and i think there's less of that ability or interest or willingness maybe to like i'm here to surrender to the album as the finish line of the art like the album's not the finish line anymore the album is a bunch of content that might get licensed and licensing is how it has this afterlife beyond its life that's actually sustaining the industry as an industry. And like, whatever, you know, like, we'll make music because we're just too stubborn and weird to stop, you know? I'm not making it in hopes that it's hooky enough to be used to sell a vacation home or a fruit juice. But I am. <laughs>
1: well, not with this record. Nope. No one's licensing this. <laughs> I don't know, the things of ours that have been licensed or have been so fucking random though yeah like we a piece from uh i don't know so there's a piece on a chance to cut is a chance to cure that's made out entire made entirely of skulls and teeth and it's just sort of i don't know brooding, bassy typical map grinding sound it goes We get a fucking phone call, oh, uh, I work for so-and-so ad agency, we want to license that song. We were like, for what? And they were like, oh, it's an ad for uh, NASCAR. <laughs> we are like, wait, cool. are we talking about the same song? Or like some of it's Civil like War it barely exists,
0: this for, song. for uh, Top Gear, you know, that like British show about cars.
1: Top Gear loves us. Yeah, it's just so random. They've used us over and over, bless their hearts. This is what you'll have in mind.
0: The reality, however, is somewhat different. Because let's be honest, you're middle-aged. What's more, you're almost certainly going to crash. So someone who you perhaps don't like very much will end up with your eyes.
1: This is the Atom from a small Somerset company called Ariel. But in the... uh, whatever. I I don't mean to... I mean, it's interesting if you're getting paid... The pay systems in England and the United States are wildly different for that stuff. You get practically nothing for an English TV show. Whereas if they use your fucking music in an American TV show, you get a huge check. uh, Where those, those things of Top Gear, every time it plays, we get, it's like $6 or something. But because reruns, it sort of adds up to you know at the end of the year it's like woo we made a hundred and forty seven dollars from Top Gear. and so I lo- you know I'm like thank you so much Top Gear like it's you bought yeah two dinners yeah for no for no effort at whatsoever.
0: It's weird because I just, I, I've just realized that in a way we're talking about the fact that artists make their statements and for them that's the end of the line. And then there's this afterlife of use where things enter the bloodstream of use and culture and get put in context that they never predicted, don't have control over. And in fact, that's literally what we've done to Boguslaw Schaefer's music. Like, yeah, poor, he, poor he made this music in his moment to, to speak back to his conditions and his life. And I have no idea whatsoever if he would like or approve of what we've done, if he would find it alienating or a ripoff or, or facile, or if he would find it funny or cool or, you know, I mean, I've had people make remixes of Madness, so that's the closest thing. But in the case of a remix, you've solicited it. You know, you've asked somebody like, hey, do you want to build something out of this? Um, and it's always really fun to hear, but also very jarring. It's this intersubjective mush of like, a Frankenstein child that's kind of you, but kind of the other person and, and neither and both. Those are just called children. <laughs> I think all Frank- all children are horrific. Um, <laughs> that's my gay opinion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is funny to think about like how proprietary you can be as an artist. And then as a listener, of course, that's where the, the, The mesh happens of like somebody else's form is a space for your feelings or your images or your responses, your imagination. And you have this like life with the artwork that you didn't make, but that you are attached to, you know? Michal had uh, permission from the Schaefer estate because he was working for the Polish government for an institute whose entire purpose is to sort of expand public awareness of Polish music and culture. So it was in that spirit that for like that the Gute Institute for the Germany. Gürtel yeah. Um, so he was the one that had proposed that we might be interesting people to make a sample kit for Ableton and he had partnered with Ableton as well. And that was a real honor, because of course, I, I use Ableton all the time, and it's it's a very powerful, flexible tool. Of course, there's problems like any tool with the fact that it, it can be used to kind of water down and make formulaic music, and that's very much a problem that over- Like the guitar. Well, it's a very much a problem that I think sort of shadows the essential premise of a sample kit, by the way,
1: you know? So the whole idea of- Yeah, that a was a kit, weird- That was like selling organs or something. I don't
0: think so. I think it was just conceptually tricky and weird because the question of like music that unfolds in time and has a lot of textural range and a lot of interesting harmonic ideas, if you're gonna sort of slice it into these little munchable bite-sized pieces, what is saved and what's lost and to what end, you know? What are you hoping to give people? And I tried to listen for moments of impact or moments that were especially articulate or powerful in for music that I thought would also be useful for somebody. But what form that takes is not really up to me. And I like that about it. Um, It did feel weird though. There was a lot of bureaucracy. The government wanted us to have all this paperwork about Exactly when, what, like to the millisecond, when does your sample start? Exactly when does it end? Within
1: the composition. And like,
0: so we had to fill out, like, you know, because there's like 200 sounds. So there's just all of this government paperwork involved and it it got kind of annoying. And that was very separate from the really beautiful moments of feeling inspired, like, oh, now we get to create and we can take this music anywhere we want and we have permission. So we're not going to be like nervous about getting sued. And we can use all these beautiful sounds that are recorded in an era where the mics and the room and the air around the instrument just sounds so good. You know, it takes us somewhere way beyond uh, the feel of contemporary recording. You know, there's a reason that people, there's a reason that like crate digging in hip hop and in so much production like obsessively fetishizes the 60s and 70s, you know, because the kind of amps, the kind of mics, the kind of engineering skill that went into professionally recording in that era. Yeah, we hear it. We, we
1: just do. We, as a species, or whatever, as a culture, we've really gone long on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, on audio, and and it's cool that you can actually retake it, put it into a different context, and it brings, yeah, it brings a, a watermark of pastness of eras and you can mix them together and it's still all there uh it's cool yeah there's an academic word i, I better think so than, That thrown around day.
0: i study the renaissance and and in renaissance studies people throw around this term polychronic a lot to refer to objects or artifacts in which there's a kind of layered sedimented pile up of histories right like Something that is. Any period. Yeah, that there might be, you know, a Renaissance reuse of a medieval reuse of a classical idea and it's sedimented with all of this range. And I think that that's the pleasure that we would take in working with Schaefer across a distance. It's also true that he has gifts that we don't have for writing choral harmonies, for assembling, you know, music that's in dialogue with church music, but is also avant-garde. You know, we've had fun with vocal ensembles in the context of Marriage of True Minds, where Martin created this idea of, oh, if we had 12 people where they all have little headphones and MP3 players and they're told to imitate what they hear. And then he wrote a bunch of keyboard parts so that we could have people singing chord developments. and that was a way to, to have kind of choral music, but mostly Matmus never goes there, you know, and I think it gives this record a very distinctive sort of tangy, um, tangy clouds of choral uh, swells, um, especially on like the last song on side one, on the, the flight to Sodom, um, but in some of the other pieces too, even in the, inside the, the first song, um, it's a real pleasure to tap into that, and it's not something that we did, it's something that Schaefer did,
1: you know. So, thanks, both. <laughs> I see a, an equilateral triangle.
0: Yeah, what's a bonk, and what's a strike, and what's a stab, and you know, like how do you attach language? You know, our to? weird, yeah, noise uh-huh. event. I have. That I might use, but is it only useful for me? That's yeah, I
1: think really an insight into his brain because he, yeah, it's he's been in the sample guy in our band and ends up having to manage these huge lists and then conceptualize them. And yeah, definitely when I was putzing with the same thing, even though I did the physical cutting of the uh, Drew did the China nomenclature, China. you know, library work of it. And when he was done, I was like, oh, this is how you think about, I mean, I've kind of had to because like the distinction between an event and a uh-huh. noise. Over the years
0: of, of doing Matmas, you know, most of our songs involved like 60 to 100 to 180 samples in a single song, you know, lots of sound. That wasn't always true in the start when it was like the W30 sampler, which only had 27 seconds of sample time. Uh, But once we jumped to the EMUs and then to to soft sampling, the sheer just management of like
1: what is required to play each song. And yeah, like that task. And porting shit over from, oh, now we're moving from the W30 to Mm -hmm. the E6400. But the question of like, like yeah, like how does a bummer.
0: how does language help you to isolate and define sound and whether it's inadequacies and like, of course everybody and but I've filled with zero and dot aiff. Um, <laughs> you probably have the same right where your students are turning in papers and they're all called paper one
1: and you know what are you supposed to do? Um, you can't table it. <laughs> yeah, when I try to teach kids like I because I, I I just take on individual like kids from around Baltimore and I'm like, do you wanna learn how to do this shit? Uh yeah, the, the nomenclature is so important and it is so aggressively boring. Yeah file like you have to put all your sounds in a folder that's called blah, or you're gonna get fucked up later. And then a year later, I look at their fucking laptop, and there's five thousand on the desktop, and I'm like, okay, so play me that thing you made uh, six months ago. Yeah. And they're like, oh, uh, 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 what, what was it called? Uh, Untitled forty-seven? Yeah, uh... Uh, I think when you
0: when you've had your heart broken a few times with like a laptop crashing or a hard drive going south and then you, then you, you know, you learn the painful lesson. I mean, with this, I think the, the like question for me and maybe you could tell me is like, how user-friendly or not are these sample kits? Like, did you hear things where you're like, oh, I like that sound, oh, that's boring. Okay, no, this is the one for me. Like, how did it- what did you make a song? Did you make a song? his sounds are gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's a strange one. If you make a sample of a chord and then think someone's laying that onto a sampler where they're going to play the chord up and down on notes, like it'll go pretty haywire pretty quickly, but trying to isolate things that are useful for people without condescending or without presuming in advance that, you know, what might be useful to somebody, you know, there's that AMM quote that every noise has a note, you know, that everything that might seem like just a textural bit of gristle to one person to somebody else might be like, oh, no, that's that could be a riff, you know, that might be the path that opens everything else out. Mm. When hopes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah i mean it was weird to have like oh there's an electroacoustic composer whose last name is schaefer but it's not Schaefer. you know like yeah, it's, it's not a like... good marketing decision
1: <laughs> he really should have just changed
0: his name. yeah try a different name dude um yeah there there are like polish labels that have reissued the music but the music's still not that accessible and not that known i believe there's one schaefer piece that was used in one david lynch
1: yeah
0: film yeah uh David but Lynch knows. David who he Lynch is. knows what's up. But yeah, most people just yeah don't, don't know this uh, don't know this music. Um, Smoking too. I played a, a benefit for David Lynch's Transcendental Meditation charity. It was one of the weirdest lineups ever. It was JG Thurlwell. And Dominique Leone, and Noveler and then Mia Sopping Truth. Super weird. And what a weird audience too, Nobody wants that. They were all like in, people that are into meditation, you know, like that's that's kind of about like being very focused and non responsive. But for playing like screaming black metal house music covers and corpse paint, it was a very odd vibe. <laughs> I felt like that was, that was the monkey mind.
1: stage. Um what was it what is it what's I gonna I don't know I get it's sort of an it's sort of a weird historical advantage of the Soviet block of the Iron Curtain is that we still have, to to us I we guess. still don't know so yeah, much because about there's it. so it's like money in the bank, you know, there's like all these things we've never heard of. Like I'm I have a buddy who's like an inveterate uh, video stealer uh, what do you call that? Torrenting? Torrenting guy. And he, and he's after, like, avant-garde, obscure avant-garde film and video. And he's just always like, okay, I found another cache of, like, fucked up Polish animation from, this, from the 70s, and we greedily consume it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of good. And you know, there's that amazing YouTube channel of, like, soviet synthesizer music i can't remember what it's called
0: but yeah it's great yeah we did i mean we didn't really see this coming because our associations with poland were mostly festival culture where we played the off festival in katowice we played with bjork we played in solpot which is a kind of polish beach town really cute little town um and yeah like unsound is a very different animal it's just very ambitious forward thinking very curated and savvy about
1: they're actually to, a lot of responsible together. for this in a way. Yeah, I think I it's I think it was
0: uh Well they're buddies probably with Mikal. They're different from Mikal, but they knew each other and yeah, yeah, I don't think if we had been to Unsound to play uh Plastic Anniversary, you know, that this album would have happened. And it's you know, it's it's leading us to think some more about like, well what what could Map Disruptors mis- be and how did they have the to sound? I think we've been making records for 25 years, this sort of dialectic of like, am I changing or am I recreating comfort food? Am I going back to the form that like, oh, this feels easy and natural. You know, I think it's tricky. Like we're not desperate to like catch up to hyper pop or like sound like current, but we also don't want to be this sort of empty placeholder of like a nineties moment either, you know? And so I think to expand the repertoire of, like, well, what are you drawing on and what does the music formally actually sound like? Um, you know, there's moments maybe on this record that sound matmissy, but I think there's also moments that are kind of don't, you know? Um, I hope that we keep getting stranger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to listen to me. <laughs> yeah, stop being such a conformist sellout. <laughs> what's the absence Schaefer's role other than you know raw material standing
1: reserve for sample
0: i don't think there's a binding concept beyond
1: that that no actually. you're right that latter thing you said is actually yeah we I, kind of did not we purposefully did not get lost in the sauce of his life and work like we were like no 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 i don't want to know that he yeah, was I think... that he did this and had this experience and we we i think we were excited to just steal
0: (laughs) (laughs) the concept is theft um sanctioned theft might be the concept um you know which makes sense if you're collaborating with the government right what is the government if not the monopoly Yeah. (laughs) yeah i mean i'll say this like having made um the rose has teeth in the mouth of a beast we have done work where the concept is to illustrate someone's life. And like the music about Wittgenstein is in some way a portrait of Wittgenstein uh, or Ludwig of Bavaria or Darby Crash, right? This is not that. And we aren't attempting to illustrate, you know, who was Boguslaw Schaefer, the person. Uh, We're not presuming to do that. And we probably just don't have the expertise to even pull that off. The other thing that we thought about, but that we chose not to do uh, was the idea of like oh well he did these graphic scores let's take his graphic scores and Oh play that's them. what I
1: was going to say. And when we first got introduced to this idea the sort of music you know what are like musos like our brainiac friends who are obsessed with music uh like hey Boguslaw Shaver, you ever and there and basically what people knew about him was Oh my god, he makes beautiful graphic scores. Yeah, and they are really incredible, but Like the guy who did the cover, Robert Beatty, mm-hmm. was immediately like, oh, graphic scores. Yeah. Yo, do you want me to make something out of his graphic scores? Yeah, so
0: that's the reference point here is this coming out of his brain. But we didn't want to I felt like it would be a weird. It would be kind of pretentious and kind of fake if we took his graphic scores and then just made Matmus music and then passed it off as oh, we're following a graphic score. Like, it's a kind of, you can't be wrong, but I don't know. To me, that wasn't appealing or that, to me, that would be kind of like weirdly shallow and maybe just dishonest. I mean, who knows? Maybe we should have tried it. maybe we could have made something that would have been a response. But since we're not driven by score generation as a framework anyway, like that, that would be, I think, kind of artificial. And I didn't want it to be, putting on airs like we're playing, you know, and that's why it's not called Matmus Plays Bogus La Schaefer. Like we aren't playing his music, we're playing with his music. And the with matters because it's more like when you go into a room and there's a bunch of random objects in it and then you just start like scraping them and tapping them and rubbing them and fondling them. Like you're working with what's there, but you're not necessarily using what's there in the purpose for which it was intended, you know? so we're kind of sidling up to
1: Yeah, it's maybe, I mean, what is it? It's maybe a little bit like, maybe, uh, you know how uh, artists get commissioned sometimes by museums to curate from their entire collection, you know, because the whatever, the Tate Modern or whatever has these warehouses full of shit that they rarely pull out. And I think it's a very cool practice. Uh, that they do where they're like, oh, so-and-so put together a show from our archives. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like that. It's like, uh, oh, I, a little bit. I guess it's not. <laughs> 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 it's more like, make a collage out of Van Gogh.
0: Yeah, I mean, it lights up that question, I think, implicit in what you were saying before of like, are materials a concept or not? You know, we've, for better or worse, inherited this reputation of being highly conceptual. And I think it's, we brought it on ourselves because some of the records are, but you could also push back and be like, well, is an object really a concept, you know, like- Like
1: is washing machine a fucking concept? That was sort of what I was doing with that. I was like, if we do this, it's so stupid. That people will be like, we'll finally listen to the music. But they don't. But (laughs) no, we we fucking talk about washing machines. I mean,
0: it's fun to talk about washing machines, and that's fine. It's just, I think... It's like Matthew Herbert with his... Right. record about the sheer fact of a pig, or is it like... See, he was really
1: doing it. Like, he was like, pay attention to the pig... Like, I, I think, I mean, he was really doing a conceptual thing where... Washing someone, audience member's well, socks is somehow less... It's more vegan friendly, at least, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yeah, I mean... It's I, dumb! It,
0: you well, know, we're, it, we're fanatical and thorough and we're committed in the sense that if we make a commitment, we follow through. We aren't kidding when we say it's all made out of washing machine. I think the question, though, is... The formal musical decisions that you make about what the music is actually like is not the same as the raw decision about what it's going to be made out of, you know, you can make a lot of things out of concrete, you can make a lot of things out of steel, they aren't, their meaning isn't exhausted by the fact that it's steel or concrete, but somehow when it's music that's made out of plastic surgery, the fact that it's made out of plastic surgery is more important than any other decision because of how unusual it is to use that as a sound source at all. And maybe for us, the issue is like, we get a pass about form because the content is juicy. I don't think we necessarily deserve that. I feel like the music has to fight for being worth your time, no matter what it's made of. And if it's worth your time, then it's hopefully doing more than just registering, aha, a source, here it is, you know? I mean, in the case of highly exotic sources like plastic surgery sound, people don't know what that sounds like. I think that's why we've deliberately tried to embrace often quite drab sounds recently. Like there isn't anything glamorous about a washing machine and that's the point, like, or, there doesn't or, have to be. Or plastic, you Yeah. know, it's... Yeah. right or like how how does plastic wind up making us bassy sound that's that deep you know like that's not it's not obvious how that might have happened um so hopefully there's some thing transformed in the process of making the music that adds something beyond just a documentary approach which is a valid thing to do by the way i mean i love field recording artists and i love people like Toshiya Tsunoda, you know, who can just locate a mic in a really thoughtful way and make a picture of a space or a process and, and that it's there for you to, to replay and enjoy. I think that's very cool. Um, I can't remember her name, but there's an amazing recent record that's just Sparkling Water. or What is it? Yeah. Loop yeah. Looker.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 So. I'm on, I'm on. I'm I want, I want that. I thought I played it I want that over before. I bought it. I have it. I know I want it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the one. That's the cover of the record that's all made out of sparkling water? Uh-huh. That's a very name, Look Looker, right? That's See, we're, we're such, like, so... dumb. Like, it's like, if it was made out of... If I made that record out of spark- it'd be like, sparkling water <laughs> on the cover <laughs> of the record.
0: You're not a European.
1: You know I, mean? I am. I'm just like, <laughs> like if it's a bottle of soap, it should say like laundry soap, Tide. Like, yeah, that's, that's where why I we're would. not invited to Germany. We're not abstract you know. we're not, true you know, elegant. It's literally true. We're not elegant. We're trashy. Nor <laughs> does anyone want us there, man. We cannot play in that's Germany. That's so true. We're going to Mannheim and Berlin. We'll be all right. We'll make it, big. Any cat'll tell you the word for great taste is meow. Kitty. Every kitty I ever had loves us. Bring you in and I'll look after fifteen dollars for each
0: kitty. No, is it cats playing from the Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. So it's like cats but really like serious. Damn yeah i mean there isn't that much cat sound i think of terry fox's uh the labyrinth with with cats you know like that's the sort of classic like avant-garde cat for sound. cat, isn't there a cat on uh, Fiori Oscori? Yeah. Alright. Uh, that's when my cat trail runs cold. Sorry. Cut. Who's made the kitty litter album?
1: <laughs> um, Cut. Cut.
0: I read with great
1: interest your interview with Alvin Curran or your conversation with Alvin. He yeah, a, he was a lovely he was guy. Amazing. Total hoot. That was really fun. And then I got super fucked up later on and found myself with all three of them. Like it, you, and I was like tanked. <laughs> and in a and in a very like I'm a do Hey, what's up, old man? Like, You're even older than me. What the fuck? Like, you know, just being a dick. And uh, Alvin is so sweet. He was just like, oh, this is my new friend Martin from Metmus. And uh, specifically, Jevsky was just not happy. He was just like, fuck off. I was like, dude, you're like Count Dooku. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before. You have interfered with our affairs for the last time. Surrender, and your lives will be spared. (laughs) God, Martin, you
0: never told me that. What the fuck? (laughs) Uh, No, it's at Big Ears
1: Festival. like, we had, we had just done the Robert perfect, Ashley Perfect, the perfect lives. lives thing. I don't know. And they were, I was just being an idiot. I think sometimes it's good to be dumb with really smart people. It's. Yeah.
0: We met this composer, Bellone, and, like, it was fun to talk to him about, like, Italian pop music and, like. Do you know this guy, Bellone? Bellone? Kind of a Darmstadt style, like, very. Intense, new Fucking music, impossible! Really challenging you know, music, but very—it's very, <laughs> <it's> very great, <laughs> like that. Yeah, so it was fun to ride the bus with him in Darmstadt and like talk about trashy '80s pop music in Italy.
1: Yeah, and at <laughs> first he was like sort of shocked and. Like, why are you talking to me, worms? <laughs> and then, uh, like, it, it grew totally seduced him with this, like, it was uh, uh, Ivan Cataneo. Yeah,
0: this sort of, like, very camp. He's kind of the Adam Ant of Italy. Uh, Il Triangolo No, and, like, these songs that are, like, gay new wave from and Italy. And he was like, you know these things? Yeah, he was dying. He couldn't believe that anyone had ever heard of this stuff. Um, yeah, but that was fun.
1: wwwwwwww <laughs>